0: If ever there was a time during the scripture reading to turn around and look at the window behind you, today is the day. From Matthew. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for there was an angel of the Lord descending from heaven and he came upon the stone and rolled it back and sat upon it. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there they will see me. And now from Corinthians. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Imagine at this point some of you have already discovered that on this Easter uh, there's another observance that coincides with Easter this year, right? (laughs) April Fools, (laughs) yeah. kind of interesting, this is really a rather rare occurrence because of the quirks involved in dating Easter around the Gregorian calendar. Um, This just happens intermittently. The last time was in 1956. It'll happen again in 2029, then 2040. It will not happen again this century. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear about (laughs) this? Uh, Now you do want to know where April Fool's Day came from, right? Okay. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) There's a lot of theories about this. Um, The one, the legend that I find most compelling, and I think there really is some truth to this, in the 1500s under the reign of Charles IX of France, they switched the calendar in the Western world from New Year's being on April 1st to January 1st. But there were some old school people who held to the April 1st. And so they had pranks, you know, kind of coming their way. So this is what would happen in April. In the streams and rivers of France, there was the hatching of these new and little fish. And they were easy prey for, for the lure and for the hook. And so those little fish were called April fools. Okay? So this is what happened. The people that still believed in the April 1st deal... They got pranked. They got fished. People would nail a fish to the door of their house. Did you know about that? That's where all this comes from. How has it survived all these years? I think not because we're into fish and all that kind of thing. It has more to do with we need humor. I mean, Mark Twain said humor is the major assault on human smugness and arrogance. And we could use a little bit of that. Some of you remember back, I think this was in the 1960s, BBC did this. Um, they aired this program on the harvesting of the spaghetti crop in Switzerland. <laughs> no, no really, they did. And so they, um, there were shots of these happy little groups of pickers that were pulling these long drooping strands from bushes. And they interviewed some farmers about the the projections they had for this year's crop. They talked about the hopes that some of these farmers had of expanding their market maybe all the way into Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Now this is what happened. The phone lines of the BBC center were jammed with calls, not with complaints. They were jammed with calls from people who wanted to know where in the world could they find out how to buy a spaghetti bush, really, and the program aired on April 1st, (laughs) you say, April Fool's, you know, it, it is kind of a day of pranks, I guess pranks it shows as a jokester in all of us, my two boys, they used to just Oh my goodness, what, the things that they would lay on their mother. I mean, she, she would be so lovingly gullible and she'd forget it's the day, you know, when this was happening. And I remember one year, our oldest son called and said, uh, Mom, you know all the plans you had for the graduation party? Well, there will be no graduation. I found out I'm four hours short, one more semester. For five minutes, she's wondering how we're going to pay for another semester, and then (laughs) then comes, oh, but it's April Fool, all right. Well, I don't have to tell you that April Fool's Day has nothing to do with the Christian calendar. However, I, I feel very privileged that one of the years that I'm with you, that these two days coincide, because I think this is one of those days that should remind us that Jesus in many ways played the role of God's fool, okay. Who was Jesus? Um, He was this radical other. He was like the ultimate court jester that was always um, just kind of confounding the normal values of the world. He was the one that projected this world that was right side up, that looked for all practical purposes like it was upside down. He was always turning worldly wisdom on its head. What's worldly wisdom? Well, you know what it is, and I know what it is. It's what most of us have been living by since the Stone Age. It's exemplified by those homey little utterances like, you've got your own life to live. Don't get involved. God helps those who help themselves, safety first and so on and Jesus comes along and says, the joke's on you. The life you saved just could be the life you lost. In other words, the life you clutch, hoard, guard, and play it safe with in the end might not be a life worth having for you or anybody else you know in the fifth century there were crucifixes all across Europe and the head of Jesus on these crucifixes was the head of an ass it was not meant to be irreverent it was the church's way of saying this is how the world has often looked at Jesus the court Chester you see as someone odd and peculiar Now it is true, when when Jesus uh, moved about Galilee, um, the crowds gathered around him. Those that first noticed him, they couldn't get enough of him. They hung on every word. But we also know, when we got to the end of many of his sermons, they were scratching their heads. The people said, we never heard anybody talk like this before. They were perplexed. But when Jesus went into Jerusalem, the powers that be, they were not perplexed. They were angry. Because he had turned the meaning of power on its head, you see. And they snapped him like a twig. We had a pretty nice group of people here on Friday night. We had a nice group. While we were here, uh, the sun went down. It got darker in this place. I think it was about 10 minutes till 8. It was about 10 minutes till 8. Word came to Asheville. Word came to Central that Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth was dead. You know, this word came here. And our hearts were as lead because we had put so much hope in him. Look, all the gospels agree. Jesus is dead. You, you asked the soldiers, oh, do you mean the one in the middle? Yeah, um, oh yeah, he, he was dead. Just to make sure we stuck a spear in his side. Ask Mary. Yeah, she said, I was there. I saw him draw his last breath. I I heard him say the words, it's finished. Go on and tell James um, he can have Jesus' his carpenter's tool and bench. It'll be his now. Go, go on and tell Herod, Herod, you win again. Why do we think anything could really change? I'll tell Pir- Pilate he can sleep peacefully tonight. Rome is safe. Tell Caiaphas, yes, political expedience carried the day. Yeah, we were here, a group of us on Friday night, and word came to us that Jesus was dead. But then some of us got up this morning, we stirred a little bit, and we said, well, the the least we can do is go to the funeral. And so we came. Oh my goodness, the cross was covered with flowers, and we heard the word from those breathless women that said, he's not here. He's not here. You see, that really, the what, what I'm describing to you was really very close to the way it was that first Easter, okay? They, they didn't go expecting some kind of glad reunion. No, it had the feeling of a funeral atmosphere. They went to pay their last respects. They went to prepare the body that they had accepted the death of Jesus. They didn't go with hopes that all this was just going to be some kind of bad dream. But Matthew says when they got there, the earth shook and a stone was rolled away and a messenger sitting on the stone dressed in um, this snowy white tunic said, are you looking for Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth nice. well he, he's not here you know. no he's not here he's risen of course he wasn't there I mean the empty tomb is too small a focus for resurrection he had outgrown his tomb you know he had things to do and people to see his business was among the living he is risen do, do you hear that this morning? I mean in some ways wouldn't you say that is the ultimate April Fool's joke all those forces that had come together forces of hatred and fear and they conspired they thought they could nail him down and put him down once and for all and the joke was on them but that is what happened They thought he was a fool, and so they got together and they said, How many people for Barabbas? Let's take a straw poll. Oh, we don't even need to count. It's Barabbas by a landslide. They had enough votes to have a mock trial. They had a mock trial and then a beating and a crucifixion. And they took the body and they threw it into a hole and they put a stone on top of it. They said, double the guard, seal it fast. Give us enough power and we can stop anything. Just see to it that this crazy carpenter and his ideas don't get loose. He is risen. The empty tomb. What is the empty tomb? I like to think of it. Is the open mouth of God saying to all the centuries, don't you know you cannot defeat eternal purposes? You might delay it, you might detain it, you might detour, it, you might think you've conquered it, but after you have done your worst to it, it'll still be standing there as deathless as life itself. Paul said, This life, this death, this resurrection in Jesus Christ, it's the very foolishness of God that is still surprising and shaming the strong and the weak. Frederick Buechner said, it's the foolishness that makes us laugh as people of faith. He said, this is what enables us to laugh even now in the midst of our weeping. Why? Because we know to whom belongs the final word. It will always be a good, it will always be a living word. It's the laughter of faith. It is the divine comedy, say. So here, that day began. It, It had the feeling of a funeral atmosphere. The two Mary's show up and they're weeping and by the end of the morning, they're laughing, they're running all the way back to tell their friends and their testimony commingles with others all the way down to people who never experienced the physical resurrection, all the way down to you and me. So who are we? Some people would say, in the New Testament calls us witnesses. That's a, that's a good word, witnesses to the resurrection. You know what Paul calls us? Fools, fools for Christ. Yeah, Easter fools. Do you know that in the history of the Christian faith, that little phrase, holy fools, it, it actually was a, kind of a designated group of folks. And they didn't mind it. It, it. it didn't bring shame upon them. This was kind of like their role. Some of them even dressed like court jesters. And what was their calling? There was in, their calling was to invite us beyond all of our properness and seriousness into the joy of grace. One of my favorites. Um, one of my favorites was Saint Simeon of uh, Sulos. This this is what he was known for. Pelting, long-winded, sanctimonious preachers during the liturgy with walnuts. <laughs> you probably wish we had one or two of those around here, right? I mean, St. Saint Simeon. Of, of, of course, St. Francis, St. Francis was the one though that took holy foolishness to a new height. You know, St. Francis spent a lot of time, you know, standing on his head, you know. He, he, Gave away all his possessions. Now this is true. St. Francis of Assisi walked all the way from Italy. Walked all the way from Italy to the Holy Land to convince the Sultan he should make peace with the Crusaders. He called his friars to be jesters, jokers. Oh, there are some contemporary versions of holy fools. In 1931, a congregational church in Vermont, they were going through a year of renovations and additions. And Howard Mudgett was the church historian, and he writes about the events. He said, on the day in which the steeple was attached to the new steeple to the top of the church, this is what he said, on that day something extraordinary happened. Said one very agile Lyman Woodard caught, crawled up in the belfry, stood on his head, and pointed his feet toward heaven. Who's Lyman Woodard? We don't know anything else about him. Was he crazy? Who cares? Wasn't that a gorgeous, clownish, inspired, inspiring thing to do. It's a whole new way of celebrating, thinking about the mysteries of heaven and earth. It's it's David dancing around the ark. It's Paul writing that we are fools for Christ. It's an Easter church and Easter Sunday kicking up its heels. So, I'm going to contend this morning that we're not just witnesses of the resurrection. We're, we're called to be Easter fools. <laughs> So what does that mean? It, it doesn't mean you have to um, stand on your head, it doesn't mean you have to dress like a court jester. I would suggest that, that it means that we have to be a bit reckless in abandoning all of our loyalty to mere worldly wisdom. You see. Look, I, I think it's hard to be a spiritual fool Because I want, you want, what the world wants. Give me a little prestige. Give me a little comfort and safety and security and predictability. What would it mean for this church to be a church of Easterfolds? I know this much. It would mean we'd be the poured out church. You know what I mean by that? The poured out church. Outlandishly, preposterously generous in everything we do. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the world. Please remember at Easter, God's saying yes to something. He's not saying yes to bunny rabbits and chocolate eggs. He's not saying yes to any kind of life. He's saying, you see this life in Christ Jesus? This one who poured out his life without counting the cost, without looking back. He said, that stands. That's it. So if we're going to be Easter fools, that should be our life. That in our life together, we will be a people who are indestructively alive, whose love has no limits, whose hope has no end. What would it mean for you and me personally to be Easter fools? I don't think it means we have to be silly. I do think it means we have to be foolishly stubborn in our willingness to live into this jesus Right side up, upside down way. Okay. To be an Easter fool doesn't mean that you have to be more religious than other people. Doesn't mean that you um, have to do unusual things where people say, ooh-wee. No, it, it just means you put on your Easter clothes, your resurrection clothes. You know what they are. You get rid of your old rags and you put on humility and forgiveness, mercy, and kindness, and compassion. You know. You know what those things are. You don't have to do anything unusual. You just put on those clothes in the normal course of your life. Gospel life is like a good joke. You either get it or you don't. And Easter fools live like people who get it, okay, who get it. But all this, everything we're talking about here, all this foolishness, it's it's rooted in Easter faith. That, that's what got us all here today i mean at easter god inserted a new fact the god who brought light out of darkness who, who took the worst that the world can do all those death denying things and carried them all the way out to life okay yeah this is a, a unique story it comes from bishop kenneth ulmer who's a african-american bishop in the ame church he, he knew about two friends of his that went to this art gallery in Los Angeles, and they got there and they start fixing their attention on this one painting. It showed two men playing a game of chess. Now, on the one side of the table was someone, man looked pretty much like you and me, just an ordinary countenance. But the other figure had a visage that was shadowy, dark, almost seemed to epitomize some kind of evil. Now, the, the one that looked most like us and had one piece, one piece. It, it was a king that was left on the board, one piece. And the name of the um, painting was Checkmate, Checkmate. But he's two men that are looking at the painting. One of them is a pretty well-known chess champion, and he's studying the painting more than his friend. His friend gets a little frustrated after a while and said, I've seen enough. He said, well, you go on. I'm going to stay here with this a little while. His friend comes back in 30 minutes, and, and, and this somewhat chess champion is still there just being worked over by this painting. And his friend says, can't we go on? And I said, no, no. He said, there's something about this. It's just not right. I said, what do you mean? He said, what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get the name of the painter. We're going to have to find out how to contact him. I'm going to have to tell him he's going to have to change the painting. That's kind of, his friend says, come on. Isn't that just a little bit impulsive on your part and presumptuous to think you should tell someone how to change their art? He said, well, maybe. But he says, then we've got to at least change the title. Checkmate, what's wrong with that? He says, come here. Look at this. The painting is entitled Checkmate. I've been looking at the board. The king on the board still has one more move. Oh. Jesus, Jesus came to Jerusalem and His procession of love, it collided with this procession of hatred and fear. It was like a train wreck. And Jesus came out on the bad side of it. He was tried and mocked and beaten and crucified. And those forces that conspired against him, they said, that's all there is. It's over. Everybody go home. Checkmate. Checkmate. Oh. But Easter says, the final word, the final move belongs to the living God of all creation. Now we often end our Easter services with that kind of yes, but kind of, kind of rhythm. And, and I'd say something close to that, but we do it with just a different twist. You know how we've done in the past? I'll say something about it being Friday, and then I'll say, but, and then the congregation says. First service did better than that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was Friday, but. Sunday's now, let me do a little paragraph. And then we're going to, I'll say it was Friday, and but then you say Sunday's coming. The first service wouldn't even let me finish a paragraph, okay? <laughs> it was Friday. No, it, it was Friday. Okay? And um, it had the. Feel of a dull, the dull feel of a lost campaign and a lost life. And the two Marys, they were weeping, and the disciples, they were running around like sheep without a shepherd. Somebody needs to tell them. Now, that was Friday, but. Oh, yeah, good. Now, the cynics, the cynics came forward and they said, You see, we've been telling you this all along. We were right. I mean, Life is just a cycle, it's a circle. That which is, is all there will ever be. Life isn't going anywhere, it never has, nothing really changes. Somebody needs to tell them, God isn't finished with creation. Somebody needs to say, that was Friday, but... Oh, it was Friday. And Pilate, Pilate, he felt like he had washed a lot of trouble away there in that basin. And Caiaphas and Sadducees, they're just having a good laugh and poking each other in the ribs and saying, "Uh uh-huh, look who's in charge now. Somebody needs to tell them that was Friday, but... (laughs) And you got up this morning and you opened the newspaper and you said, Oh my gosh, I live in a world where... Goodness gets mocked and truth gets stretched out on a scaffold. But no, you say to yourself, I'm not going to learn just to live with the dark cloud. I'm not going to make peace with the status quo, because I know that even the very foolishness of God is still trumping the news of the day. Yeah, you know don't you? Some days it looks like Friday, but it's Friday. Now take a deep breath. We're going to end in a little different way after this closing hymn. For a number of years here on Easter, I've watched you during the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus, some of you swaying and moving and even moving your lips and singing a little bit out there in the pew. I mean kind of a radical thing to do. You're going to be invited, some of you this morning, to be an Easter fool. To get out of your pews and you come up during the last two verses of this closing hymn and the choir would like you to come up and sing with them. They have sheets of music for you. First service. I didn't have to sing 67 verses of Just As I Am to get people up here. They came. They they. You know, some of you could use this. It could fill out your resume. You had a short run with the choir at (laughs) Central. So here's your instructions. Get to the last two verses of our closing hymn. If you feel so moved, you come up here.